ask questions. Um, so, and we'll get started in just a moment. So a big welcome to our live audience for Digital Health Investor Talk. I'm your host, Stephen Wardell. I'm the managing partner of Wardell Advisories, a digital health advisory firm, and the author of The Future of Digital Health. Wardell Advisors is helping digital health companies address issues around growth, fundraising, M&A, strategic alternatives. You can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Wardell. Our show today is on selling to the payers in 2023-24, the strength of the payer uh, budget, the evolving challenges, and the spending priorities. Our guest today is Liz Kuo. Liz is an, an MD commercial officer of Everly Health and the author of a forthcoming book, Digital MD, to be published in January. You can follow her on Twitter at Liz Kuo. This show is being recorded and will be included in my podcast series called Digital Health Investor Talk. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. This is not investment advice and we are not investment advisors. First off, the format of the show is that it lasts about 90 minutes and Liz and I will spend the first half talking about the news and the macro picture. It's basically designed to be um, sort of office cooler chat. Um, then for the second half, we'll discuss our topic of the day, which is selling to, to payers. Um, after, you know, throughout all this, we'll be taking call-ins from the audience. In order for you to do more than just watch, you need to register for an account on call-in. Um, once you've registered, you can type questions in the chat. Um, so welcome to the show, Liz, and can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Great to be here. My name is Liz Quo. I'm a physician by training and have been a serial entrepreneur, uh, especially in the digital health world. Been very excited to join as uh, my most recent stint was at Anthem, where I managed as their deputy chief clinical officer in Medicaid, Medicare, and commercial patients for 43 million Americans. Um, most recently last year, I joined Everly Health, which is a is a wonderful home testing company that um, right now I am helping to manage. I was their chief medical officer and now their chief commercial officer, focusing on building our payer relationships and building into our enterprise model. So both on employer side, but also selling to a lot of different payers um, for all three lines of business, care, Kate, and commercial, and then ultimately also looking at lab claims and reimbursements. That's wonderful. And you have a book coming out, Digital MD. Can you tell, can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. I uh, felt like I have been all five types of P's for the payer, provider, patient, um, also ultimately um, policymaker, and then pioneer, so entrepreneurs. And after doing all this, I felt like if I would have known 20 years ago what I know now after being on the payer side, also being a physician myself, uh, I feel like I would have been able to run my businesses very differently and streamline the process of sales and growth. And I'd like to share that with um, as many people as I can. Um, also thinking through how to help uh, anyone that's interested in thinking about technology as it applies to healthcare. That's great. And I, I've never heard all of those P's before. So I think policymaker and pioneer were, were new ones to, uh, for me. Um, Great. Well, so now we'll launch into macro news. Uh, and here with macro news, um, two years ago, digital health leaders didn't have to care about macro news. Unfortunately, today, they have to care increasingly about macro news. 
because things like inflation or interest rates are interrupting their lives. Uh, so just to summarize here, last week, um, markets for about a week have been basically recovering from what Jerome Powell said last week. And last week, he did not raise rates, that, and that we had predicted that he would not raise rates. Um, he still has the option to raise rates one more time by the end of the year. And I, if he does, I think he may raise rates by 25 basis points or so. But we both predicted and wanted him to not raise rates because we want to remove the uncertainty that, that, that has interfered with uh, financial markets at the level of young, innovative companies in digital health and VCs. So that part was good. He also said that he thinks rates will stay higher longer, and that is hawkish from an inflationary perspective. That's why he, that's why he said that. Um, but it, uh, it was unsettling to the market. Basically, um, a lot of investors are pricing in the idea that the Fed is going to start cutting rates soon. And the interpretation of the statement is that he's not going to be cutting rates um, for four quarters or more. That's the interpretation put on this. And that means that rates will be higher longer. And so people who might be invested in a high stock price or a high private market valuation and have seen it come down and want rates to fall so that it'll go back up, uh, they can't expect that to happen in the near term. That's what that, what, what that means. And so that was disappointing uh, to people on the street who who had sort of baked that into future NASDAQ uh, levels, et cetera. Um, so that's uh, the first level. And it's a mixed story for the innovation economy, which is young company leaders and invest and VC investors. Um, the good part is that, um, uh, is that uh, we have some stability and he's not talking about raising rates. Um, and the bad part is that high interest rates are not good for um, for earnings negative companies in general. Um, so um, the other story I think is that um, there's been concern we're going to go into a recession in the second half of this year, that is to say right now. And uh, instead, economists are pushing out forecasts for a recession, saying we may have a soft landing and not a recession. Um, I think Goldman Sachs cut its chance of recession in the next year from 50% down to 15%. Um, and so that's good for the innovation economy because recessions make our software buyers feel poor and they don't buy as much software. So we don't want the economy to go into a recession because we want them to buy our software. So um, uh, Liz, I'm not sure how closely you follow this stuff, but do you have any thoughts on some macro news uh, on this news or other macro news you heard in the last week or yeah, so? Yeah, I think there's a ton going on right now with this um, space. I think we're seeing, you know, there's a few interesting things with Instacart, IPO, and other areas that we're um, seeing some digital health, health companies now thinking through that and what that means for the larger audience. But no, nothing to add right there. So then uh, the next... I'll point to is IPOs. So over the summer, we had a couple IPOs and then very closely watched were the, the ARM IPO. So ARM is a UK chip maker and Instacart, um, and uh, which is a, a, a delivery company that's seen as a software tech company. Um, and what was special about these is these are, these are tech companies that are going IPO with, with ARM was buoyed by the, AI megatrend that, that's lifting NASDAQ stocks right now. Um, 
And what I think as, as people in the innovation economy, first of all, the IPO window has been closed for six plus quarters. Um, and that's concerning. It means there's no liquidity in, in the investment side of the innovation economy. Um, and what we really wanted to see was some tech companies, IPO, and then their stock prices go up from the initial uh, pricing level by about 15% and stay up. That's what we wanted. Um, uh, and then if that happens, then those IPOs are viewed as a success and other, uh, and there is demand for IPOs from the buy side on Wall Street, but they want, they want to know it's gonna be a positive environment, stock prices will be supported. Um, and so uh, if the stock prices went up and stayed up, that would be a great sign to other tech companies and other digital health companies, most of which are software companies, um, to IPO. And so here we were seeing a disappointment and, and an ambiguity. So did the IPO window open in September? Well, it's hard to say. We're going to have to look to more IPOs in October to see. But ARM is down 17% from its IPO in a week. And Instacart is down 15% from its IPO in a week. So that, that both were very large. That's a good sign. Neither one was catastrophic. That's an okay sign. Um, but I don't think we can declare that the IPO window is now open uh, because instead of going up, they went down. Um, now, there's an analyst out there named Aaron DeGagney, and he has collected the names of digital health companies that he thinks will go public. Um, he's been hearing may be interested. And so the, and he published a report on this. He's with PitchBook. And so he says the, comp the digital health companies watching this that may go public are Noom, Roe, Everly Health, um, Bioformis. Um, Bioformis just had their CEO step down, so that's less likely. Um, Quantum Health, etc. So Liz, um, we don't expect you to uh, to tell us anything um, that's that's not public. But uh, anyway, so uh, any, any thoughts on you know? Do you think the IPO window has now opened up, uh, or um, based on what we're seeing in the markets? Uh, any thoughts about digital health companies being able to IPO There's again? a lot of interest in it right now. I don't think um, it's yet determined that it's going to be smooth sailing. So everyone's eyeing what's happening. I think we're keeping track of it across the board for the whole industry, especially as you know, a lot of the digital health uh, companies that did go public during the pandemic did really well. And now they're, um, I would say, a tenth or less of their highest price. So there's a lot of right now discussion about how are things going to be analyzed? Do you have to have a path to profitability? Do you want to be profitable when you're IPOing, or can they can you at least set that up for success? So um, a lot of interest around it right now. Yeah, I think the companies we see go public in the very near term, next couple of weeks, will be earnings positive, and then digital health companies that then commit to the path of going public and do IPO will probably be earnings positive as well. And that, that didn't have to be the case you know, right. uh, two years ago. Um, you could have had a, a two-year path to be becoming cash flow break even a couple of years ago. But now I think it's only the companies with, with earnings to look at uh, will, will be committing to go down that path. So, um, so what I'll do here is I'll, I'll reiterate my, my thesis. So I think that so that the, the amount of venture investing in digital health is down significantly since the boom of 2021. And I think that uh, the conventional wisdom is that it, we're not going to see a real uptick 
until late 2024. Um, but I'm more optimistic than that. I think that we're still on track to see an uptick in venture investing uh, later this year. So I think I'm about four quarters ahead of, uh, of uh, the conventional wisdom in the market because I think we will see the IPO market open. We had a, a, you know, a weak attempt last week because the stock prices are down. Um, uh, but I think we will see the IPO market open. And then I also think that um, uh, that we will see the Fed stop raising rates and th thereby giving us less uncertainty in markets. And those two factors, I think, will power a, an, a, a return to higher levels of investing in seed A, B, C by digital health venture investors. So that, that's my I'm, I'm reiterating that thesis, although it's a little disappointing to see the recent, recent tech IPOs not perform well. So, um, and, and any thoughts? Are, are you hearing people, you know, say we're not going to see a return to better venture investing for four quarters, or, or are people more optimistic than that, or more pessimistic? Do you, do you have any thoughts, uh, Liz? I think, generally speaking, a lot of companies are. Um, I would say a lot of inv investors are looking at putting better money into the existing companies that are doing well. Um, they're not necessarily coming through with brand new ideas or brand new um, companies, but I would say um, it's looking more promising in the second half of the year. Right now, I feel like there's been some loosening and more interest. Um, I think the first half, it was just very, very difficult. Most companies, um, especially in the earlier stages, pre-seed or seed rounds have just a lot of difficulty. Um, but I think most investors are now starting to get more interested and they're actually really, in my mind, looking at path to probability, path to scale and really thinking through which ones they are willing to take bets on. Yeah, thank you. And I, I, I heard an interesting remark. Um, uh, so I had Jay Rugani of Andreessen Horowitz on the show, and he is claiming that Andreessen Horowitz is investing at the same pace now as they were a year ago and two years ago. Um, and so that that's really interesting that that suggests it's other funds. So it could be, you know, funds that are in both B2C and digital health uh, or small funds or or it's, it's, uh, it's other funds have cut back, whereas that suggests that some of the mainstream funds that that, you know, regular that maybe you could say top fifth performers in digital health haven't necessarily slowed down. So. Um, uh, but the overall effect is that there's a, there's been a lot less funding available. I, I, uh, so the numbers I've seen are, you know, Series CD crossover IPO down 95%, A and B down 75%, uh, and Seed is is down a, a bit. Um, uh, but there's also a minor boom in Seed if it's AI related in in digital health. So, um, so then uh, so the next section is industry reports. So. I didn't see any reports um, this week to read or comment on. Uh, I'll throw this out to our audience. Has our audience seen any reports? And then we can call it out on the show as well. Type it in the chat room if any reports came out that you thought were significant. Um, and Liz, did you see any any reports uh, across digital health that you thought were significant this month so far? Um, not internally. I would say not major reports, but there's a lot of um, buzz right now around generative AI. And I think we've seen a lot of interest right now, even in um, Costco getting into healthcare. Um, Rama uh, on healthcare, I think has done a lot of interesting work on AI work. 
um, from across the board. I highly recommend that um, news channel if you're ever interested in just getting a daily update on healthcare. Which is that again? It's Rama, R-A-M-A, on healthcare. It's like a very interesting, just daily update. And is that on on YouTube or is it? It's an email list that goes out. Okay, great. Um, Wonderful. So um, let's see. So the next is uh, news stories, trade journal stories that came out that we thought were were interesting. And here I like to cover funding announcements. And I have to say that it continues to be the case that there's more layoff or wind down announcements than fundraise announcements. And this gets back to that um, uh, that. Uh, VCs have been telling young companies to belt tighten. So that leads to layoffs. Um, and they've been telling them to get to, uh, uh, to be able to make their existing money last two years, or I'm even hearing three years um, to, uh, to just make it last and belt tighten. Um, so, uh, and that's been contributing to these fun, to these layoffs and shutdowns that we're hearing about. Um, so I think, a really interesting story, a really big one, is that Virgin Pulse announced on today that it will merge with HealthComp. Uh, so both of these are companies that sell into the employee benefits budget in, with employers. Um, so Virgin Pulse has a bunch of programs it sells into the employee benefit budget, and HealthComp is a benefit analytics platform. And the deal is valued at $3 billion. So I'm not sure if this is... Um, merger of equals accounting, getting us to a total of $3 billion, or if if Virgin Pulse was the acquirer and HealthComp is the target valued at $3 billion, but they said the deal was valued at $3 billion. So that's big in the digital health space. Um, and uh, the deal was backed by New Mountain Capital, Blackstone, Morgan Health, and Marlin Equity. Marlin Equity is the primary private equity sponsor of Virgin Pulse. Um, Chris Michalak, the CEO of Virgin Health, will be the CEO of the combined company. Um, and so th- this is really interesting because there's been a lot of concern that there's not going to be a lot of, or that, um, that, that there's an underrepresentation of M&A deals in digital health. Um, so you need a healthy M&A market. It provides liquidity. If investors at the beginning of the funnel knew that there wouldn't be any M&A opportunities available at the end of the funnel, they wouldn't invest in the first place. Um, but the, the, the level of MA in digital health has always been relatively low. And I think that's because it was so easy to raise money for so long that companies didn't have to sell. They would raise more money and pursue an aggressive growth strategy instead of selling. Um, and, but here we have uh, a major sale. Um, and so what's happened since then is that rates have gone up. It's become harder to raise money. And now we're seeing a major M&A transaction. And so this um, is significant because... Of, there were so few in digital health, firstly, but secondly, it's also showing consolidation in the employer sector, the sector of progressive large employers um, buying the products of digital health vendors from companies like a Teladoc or like a um, like a Castlight or Accolade, uh, etc. And so, I think this deal could actually kick off further consolidation as leaders in this sector. So Accolade's a leader in the sector, Virgin Pulse is a leader in this sector, others are leaders in this sector, 
Teladoc's a leader in this sector, uh, they start saying, well, buyers want to make more of an enterprise buy. They want to buy a suite. They want to buy, um, you know, a different categories with suites in each category and make an enterprise buy. And so we have to start filling out uh, those categories and those suites with products. Uh, so I think that's, that's primed to go. And this is a great deal to kick that off uh, in that sector. So Liz, any, any thoughts on, on this deal? No, not really. Um, so then I, I, I also saw a, a, a fundraise, which was Texas-based uh, Diligent Robotics raised $25 million, led by Canaan uh, Partners' Rich Boyle. Um, so uh, Diligent Robotics makes a robot, Moxie, and Moxie the robot performs delivery tasks around the hospital, such as delivering lab samples and supplies. Uh, uh, and the CEO of the Texas-based company is Andrea Tomas. Um, so this was interesting. Um, there were not a lot of prominent fundraise deals. Uh, this is interesting in part because a leading mainstream venture fund, Canyon Partners, led it. We haven't seen top lead investors leading so much over the last six quarters. But here we're seeing Canyon leading a deal. Uh, so that's that's good. That means that the old syndicates are coming back, or it's a good sign of that. But not a lot of deals this week. But the only other thing I was thinking of is that there must have been three or four robotics deals announced over the last couple of months. So apparently robotics is a is looking like a relatively hot category. I would not have guessed that a year ago. One of them being a companion robot for, uh, for loneliness, um, among other things. So interesting that robotics is a, is is showing up repeatedly in deals over the last quarter or so. Um, Liz, any thoughts on on this deal uh, or any um, news announcements or trade journal pieces that you thought were worth bringing to the audience's attention? There's a lot of interest right now in robotics. I think there's quite a lot of um, public companies uh, thinking through, is it assisted robotics? Is it virtual robotics? Is it certain types of um, ways to um, reduce, I would say, even... Uh, the ability for people to get too tired from surgeries? Can you increase the number of surgeries? Are there ways to improve the surgery outcomes across robotics? Um, I think at a, from a clinician standpoint, um, we're seeing a lot of movement in this space because um, the big med device companies are coming into um, trying to think about how to build it out. The only issue is outside of uh, Da Vinci and some of these other ones, we haven't seen uh, an intuitive, a big way for companies to leverage it. So I think more to come. But right now, I think the ability for us to think about assisted virtual 3D other things are all superficially. They're not, there's no huge market right now that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Thanks. So next we move on to valuation and consolidation. So as a whole, digital health public stocks are down about 80% from the, the height of the boom. Uh, and uh, the NASDAQ, uh, I think unexpectedly since January, has been up about 33% uh, or so. And, so. and that's largely due to the top 10 big tech stocks lifting the NASDAQ, none of which are digital health stocks. Um, so that is showing uh, improving valuations, a little more of an optimistic environment. I don't think people expected a lift that big of the NASDAQ since the beginning of the year. Um, and uh, the Fed is saying rates will stay higher longer. Um, and so what that fundamentally means is that 
many private companies were valued at very high multiples, 20 times forward revenue, whatever it was two years ago. And, and meanwhile, public values have come down. Um, and so if the Fed is saying rates will stay higher, and there's an overhang that has developed, the overhang is that private companies at high valuations are unwilling to do a transaction that could lead to a down round. So they're unwilling to raise money that they may need to raise money, but they're unwilling to do it because it will revalue the company at a lower level, or they may need to be acquired by a consolidator, but they're unwilling to sell in the current environment because it would mean selling at a lower valuation. But the Fed saying that rates will stay higher longer means that those private company values are going to come down to the public levels. That's fundamentally what it means, I think. Um, and so that overhang will get resolved. And, and this will the Fed's statement, Jerome Powell's statement, will allow in those internal debates uh, between board and CEO for people to say, well, we'll do the transaction at the lower value because waiting is not going to um, is not going to restore prior valuation levels. Um, so uh, I like to talk about multiples. So the, the most recent SAS capital index for the uh, end of August uh, says that median valuation levels for SAS companies are at 6.9 times forward revenue. This compares to the prior month of 7.1 times. And the NASDAQ pulled in uh, in August over, I think, recession fears. And so that's why it was trending downward. Um, there's a long-term median of these valuations at eight times um, uh, forward revenue. And so we're, we're still below that long-term median level. And high growth SaaS is trading at eight to 12 times forward revenue. But that compares with the highs of 2021, where um, the median SaaS traded at 16 times forward revenue and high, high growth SaaS was trading at over 30 times forward revenue. So um, that, that, I just, I'm using these, I'm providing these multiples so people can get a feel for where we are right now as compared to historic norms and the boom era of 2021. So on top of that, the valuation environment is still risk off, uh, which means that we're not giving big premiums to fast growing companies that are earnings negative. Uh, in, in general, they want to see companies get to profitability rather than go for high top line growth that's earning negative earnings negative. Um, and we're seeing down rounds are happening, but slowly and perhaps with the Fed's statement last week, down rounds will pick up because internal parties that might have objected to a down round are going to stop objecting to down rounds. Um, so um, so that, that, that's a kind of a summary of the, the valuation landscape. Um, any thoughts of, of what you're hearing, um, Liz, about uh, about fundraises and valuations and that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I would agree. There's definitely a down round right now as we're looking at this. Um, a lot of companies are actually taking hits and um, lower valuations just to survive, as you mentioned, with um, a growth or a run rate at least of two years. And so they're doing a lot of cash conservation in the meantime, trying to raise when they can. But it's been a difficult time. So then I'll touch on consolidation. So, and we hit on this in the news section of the show, but you know, the, the really big deal is, is this $3 billion deal, Virgin Pulse and Health Comp. Um, it, you know, I think digital health has been hitting under the level for years of, con of consolidation and M&A that should have been happening in the sector. And that's because it was too easy to just raise money and pursue an aggressive growth strategy for even more value uh, and not have to sell. Um, 
but now rates are up, uh, fundraising is down, and uh, and so I think we will see consolidation and this Virgin Pulse and Health Comp merger. This is the template. This is uh, in in certain sectors, including um, provider tech and the employer benefit tech. Uh, uh, the buyers increasingly want enterprise buys, meaning that's going to drive consolidation where vendors acquire the products of acquire other vendors for their sales channels and their products. And that's what we're seeing with this deal. Um, and no sector needs this more so than the digital health benefit, employer benefits sector, which is where Virgin Health and Virgin Pulse and Health Comp are. So that deal was important. In addition, um, I think markets were very concerned that the Biden administration has been negative on mergers. So Biden appointed Lena Khan to the FTC. The, Lena Khan has sought to block a number of prominent mergers, including Microsoft's mm. proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Um, mm. And this is very concerning to the, the food chain of innovation, which starts with young innovative companies and VCs and goes up through, um, through big consolidators, because there's only a couple, a couple of options. You can, you can um, remain a standalone company um, forever, but then you have no liquidity for investors and they can't take profits and then plow that back into early stage. Or you can go public or, and sometimes the IPO window is closed, or you can be bought in an acquisition. And so if the Biden administration, Lena Khan, is significantly opposed to acquisitions as compared to their predecessors, that's very concerning for this whole food chain. Well, that was a concern and even led, there's an, a market observer, Chamath Palihapitiya, and he declared on, on the All In podcast recently that M&A is dead for big tech, is what he meant uh, there. And so, but just, just last week, though, we saw Cisco announced it was acquiring Splunk in a $28 billion deal, apparently Cisco's biggest acquisition ever. Um, and so um, that we should watch this deal. There's been no opposition from the FTC so far to this deal. We should watch that because that could herald, if this goes through, it could herald a, a, a change in tone where we see big tech returning to acquisitions. And that would be very good for digital health. Um, so I'm just trying to summarize that, you know, we're, we're seeing, um, we're seeing a number of factors here. Um, Jerome Powell saying rates will be higher longer means that internal opposition to M&A at some of these companies is going to fade because they can't expect to get back to their old high um, private market valuation. We're seeing uh, Virgin Pulse and Health Comp kicking off uh, a potential rush uh, of M&A and game of musical chairs in the digital health employer sector. And we're seeing Cisco confidently seeking to buy Splunk, which if successful would change perception about whether the Biden administration is blocking big tech mergers or not. So um, Liz, any thoughts about, about consolidation? Do you think we're, we're at the, so I, I think the market perception in digital health is that we're not going to see an uptick in, uh, in M&A this year. And we didn't see one last year. Um, but my contrarian view is that we will. And, and I've been saying that on this show, uh, and this Virgin Pulse Health Comp deal is a very good, significant sign that, that we will see an uptick. So, uh, Liz, any thoughts? 
Yeah, you and I have talked about this. I think we're, um, for some of the companies that are running out of cash and may have alternatives to just merge um, and have a consolidation plan, I think those could work out fairly well. A lot of the companies, I think, that are generally interested in these mergers, they still need a path to profitability and or otherwise they're just a huge load on, um, you know, costing a lot of acquirers a lot more money to run. And so I would say that is definitely an alternative. Um, we saw during the pandemic, a lot of companies that are digital health focused grow, but during that time, there's also a lot of providers who didn't. And so the ways that providers, they were you know, getting bought, um, I would say 50 cents of the dollar, especially because they had no revenue source and they were running out of cash. We'll probably see that some, with some of the digital health companies now that it's kind of petered out and plateaued in terms of use. Um, a lot of the other companies, even virtual care, I would say, to become um, table stakes. And so when it's a commoditized entity, you're not seeing as much interest in these companies as there was before. Uh, that's really interesting, thanks. Um, so good, so now we'll move on to the next category, which is upcoming conferences. So here with upcoming conferences, I think right now everyone in digital health is talking about um, the health conference in Las Vegas October 8 to 12. Uh, and I know a lot of people who are going to this, I think they're announcing that they have record numbers of registrants, you know, eight, nine, 10,000, something like that. Um, and, uh, uh, and so, and I also know people who are saying this year I'm going to health, which has great programming and is it very conveniently inside of, you know, a large convention center in Las, in one location, a large convention center in Las Vegas. And they're going to skip J.P. Morgan in San Francisco, which uh, unless you're actually invited by J.P. Morgan, it doesn't have any programming at all. And which involves, um, you know, renting expensive hotel facilities and walking around outdoors, trying to go to different meetings in different places around Union Square. Uh, so that's an interesting phenomenon. And, and what I like health for is there's a very good representation of VCs at health. So health was was born with an investment by Oak Partners in it. There's there and many of the mainstream prominent digital health venture funds uh, help sponsor health or send large representations to health and take meetings at health. Um, so that's where it's strongest that young digital health companies can go to health and can arrange meetings. You can use a number of systems that health provides to connect with investors. Um, you can pretty predictably count on that very active investors will be there and just write them and say, let's meet. Um, so that's what health, and then there's the, the programming has historically been very good and very, uh, you know, very thought leading. Although I, I, I think last year I didn't like, I didn't think their programming was as, as sort of thought leading last year. There may be some sponsor sort of uh, capture going on with the programming at health, maybe um, I'm concerned. Uh, and uh, and then a bit of a disappointment for health is that they've never really been good at getting um, enterprise buyers at health. So enterprise buyers from hospitals, from health plans, from, uh, from employers of, of healthcare software, from pharma, of the, the tech budgets of pharma, they've never really been great. They can get the innovation executives from hospitals and health plans and and employers and and pharma to come, uh, but they've never really been good at getting uh, the um, the corp dev or the um, the the product buyers from those enterprises there. 
So that, that's a little bit of a disappointment, whereas in the past, HIMSS was pretty good at getting these those people to come. Um, uh, but uh, so that, that's an area I think health has some work to do. Um, so Liz, are, are you going to health? Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, and uh, would you go to health, but not JP Morgan? Good question. I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve. A lot of health is for companies that are trying to at least make a presence, um, whether it's like startups or others. It almost feels like if you're not there, people are wondering why you're not. Um, so I do think it has a cachet to it. Um, I do think people overspend, but at the same time, it is a, um, a fear of missing out that they've generated quite well. Um, there's also, though, a lot of interest, as you know, with um, the ability to set up so you can set up meetings. They organize it quite well. So it's a very important sort of social gathering for those that want to be aware of technology, what's at the forefront. Um, JP Morgan something we'll, I'll probably attend, but it's one of those things where uh, there are a lot of conferences and I think it depends on if you're looking for investors, if you're looking for um, partnerships. I agree with the provider and payers. If that's, as we talked about the five Ps, uh, providers and payers as clients, I would say isn't as well represented in these conversations. Um, but in terms of venture capital, what's hot, what's um, what are top of mind for technology, health is a good conference to go to. I'll be also speaking there as a fireside chat to talk about patients and digital health. Oh, that, that's fantastic. What, what day, uh, Monday, Tuesday, or? It's on Tuesday. Uh, it's with Peterson Healthcare. This is another interesting piece. They just invested 50 million. Uh, they are a nonprofit that's actually really looking into helping digital health companies scale. Um, and it's a, um, a group that I've been working with on supporting the mission. That, that's great. And then I have actually sent out to uh, to the audience of this podcast, I've sent out a, a call to send me uh, what you think are the coolest parties at the coolest evening receptions at Health. Um, and then I'm putting these into a list. Uh, and then soon I'll be sending this list out to everybody who sent in a contribution or who just emailed me to ask for the list. So Stephen at WardellAdvisorsLLC.com, uh, send me an email. Uh, if you, uh, you can vote for who you think the coolest evening reception is, uh, and then uh, I'll send out a consolidated list of these receptions to everybody who has contributed or who's asked uh, for that. So that I'm seems so exclusive. That's great, Stephen. Um, I will also mention I the reason why I'm I'm only attending on Tuesday it's because there's another conference next week that competes with health, uh, but it's an interesting one. It's in Baltimore, um, and it's called Ahima, and it's basically for companies that are interested in data analytics and selling to the payers and providers. They do have a pretty nice generation of interest. It stands for the American Health Information Management Association. I'm speaking there, but they're, uh, I would say, also a very interesting um, trade group for those in digital health, but more on the data and interoperability analytics pieces. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's great that that sounds like a great conference. Um, so for our audience, um, uh, if do you have any conferences you want us to review? Do you have any conferences where you're asking a question of like, hey, as a young company leader, should I bother to go to this conference coming up? So the fall is conference season. Um, and uh, uh, so we have uh, one of uh, someone in the chat room is, is remarking that the health attendee list was 8,700 as of a week ago or so. So that, that, that that's great to know. Thanks for, for posting that. Um, and uh, uh, so um, 
And then we have someone asking, is this conversation recorded? And the answer is yes, it'd be posted on Apple, Google, Spotify. Um, by the way, I heard that um, Google is discontinuing its podcasting service, which, which is too bad. Um, but that, that leaves as the major services only Apple and Spotify. So, um, Liz, any other conferences in the fall that you want to call our audience's attention to or recommend? Or um, There are lots of really interesting ones in pharma and whatnot. I know you have a list to share. I think there... Um, uh, I, I would say definitely there's, in terms of investors, a lot of them have um, interest across the board with smaller organizations, with providers. But the major ones, as we all know, are um, the ones that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, for, and for time reasons, I'm going to only call out health this time because it's coming right up. Um, and so then, you know, moving on to the next section is is personal notices so uh, in my case um uh, my i my next show is so so personal notices when to catch me or meet with me or whatever so my next show is coming up next wednesday it's what's hot in artificial intelligence with austin walters who who has a an ai and healthcare venture fund uh springtide um and then i'm also doing a a drinks night in boston on October 5th, Thursday, October 5th. Um, and the theme of that is, is a PharmaTech uh, drinks night in Boston. So, um, and so Liz, any, any personal notices? I'll, I'll just say that you're speaking at Health on the Tuesday of Health and that you have a book coming out in January, but any, any other um, personal notices for you? You know that I, um, I'm excited to help uh, mentor, get people excited from the tech side into um, digital health 